Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. How does it say to come? Come boldly. Not presumption, not arrogance, not brazen, not prideful, not haughty, but boldly. Uh, boldness is the result of knowing something. It's, it's uh, confident that you know something. It, it, uh, boldness is produced because you're sure of something. You're confident of something. You boldly say you're saved because you're sure about it and you know about it. You're not wavering about that. You're not hesitant. You're not ashamed. You can talk and act boldly when you're sure that you know something is true. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that ye may obtain that ye may obtain, in other words, that you may possess, that you may take it. We can come boldly to God and ask and receive because we know that we belong there. We know that we belong there. And you know that He wants you to have what you're asking for. He, you know He wants you to have what you're coming to receive and possess. You know that he's already given it to you. And this is one of the great hindrances to faith among Christians, especially those from a religious background. People have sat in church for centuries and been taught that they're unworthy to, to ask God for something, especially something material, yeah. Or, or, you know, in physical, in the natural world, they're, they're uh, unworthy to expect, they're unworthy to receive. And this sin consciousness has been pounded into them for years. And it's why they have a begging mentality. And a begging mentality is not coming boldly to the throne of grace. This begging mentality, this unworthy mentality, is the mentality of the Old Covenant. Um, if people even have enough courage to ask at all, you know, they, they come crawling up to God and, and they're telling Him about how unworthy they are and every wrong thing that they've ever done, every mistake that they've ever made, they go through all this unworthy speech before they even try to muster up, uh, you know, the courage to ask. They have no revelation about what Jesus has already bought and paid for them to have. And it's a lack of confidence to ask and receive and possess. And, and that's the opposite of boldness. Once you are born again... You are no longer a sinner, and you are no longer unworthy. Jesus made you worthy. Mm -hmm. He made you righteous. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you can come boldly to his throne mm -hmm. and ask and receive, possess. Mm -hmm. 
And this is the mentality of the new covenant believer who knows who they are in Christ. Uh, no sense of guilt, no sense of inferiority, no sense of condemnation. That, that's really the definition of righteousness. Being in right standing with God, you have no sense of guilt, no sense of inferiority, no sense of condemnation. And religion does not teach this. Religion constantly reminds people of their sin. And that's what happened in the Old Testament. The, the purpose for all those, uh, you know, the, the sac animal sacrifices and, and uh, all that that, you know, went on in the temple, um, all the, the sin offerings and all that, it was to remind people that they had sinned. It was, it was to remind them that they had sinned against God. The new covenant is a revelation that we are seated with Christ at his right hand. That's a revelation of the new covenant. We're seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus in heavenly places. And that's the truth that millions of people sit in church every Sunday and never hear. As long as they continue to sit in that church, they're never going to hear that. But when you know that Jesus has already bought and paid for you to have uh, uh, the new birth, uh, divine health, blessing, abundance, peace, um, wisdom, guidance and direction, protection, all of these things, then it produces confidence and boldness. And you can boldly approach the throne of God and ask and receive and possess it freely by faith. So when you know that God is not mad at you, when you know He does not remember your sins, when you know He wants you to come and ask, when you know He wants to direct you and guide you, when you know He wants to give you what you want to receive, then you can be bold. You can come boldly. You know, if you have kids or grandkids and they, you know, uh, what would you think if they came crawling on the floor up to you uh, begging, you know, can I have a glass of milk and a cookie? And, and before they even ask you, they go through a 10-minute speech of, of all that they've done wrong that day. I, I, I know I should have made a a better grade at school. I know I made a C. I know I should have done better in that class. I know I should have cleaned up my room. I know I should have done what you asked. I know I should have carried out the trash like you told me. If you had to sit there and listen to this 10-minute speech about how unworthy they are and every mistake they've made, and then they eventually get around to asking you for a glass of milk and a, a cookie, you would think, this is ridiculous. I mean, you know, that refrigerator in there, everything in there belongs to you just as much as it does me. If you want a glass of milk and a cookie, go get it. You know, you don't, you don't bet, crawl on the floor and beg me and tell me all your mistakes before you ask me for a glass of milk and a cookie. You would think, sit down, kids. We need to have a talk here. You know, we need to have a talk. This is, not, 
This is not the way you possess what's in my house. Everything in my house belongs to you. And you, 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 you act like that milk in the refrigerator belongs to you. The cookies in the cupboard belongs to you. Just go get it. Be thankful, but just go get it. Go take it. Amen. Most Christians don't know that healing, blessing, wisdom, speaking in tongues, favor, protection, it already belongs to them. And they don't know because they're hearing something else other than the Bible, sitting in church, week after week, year after year. No hearing the word produces no believing, which produces no faith to receive. Religion has not taught people to be bold or to be believers and certainly has not taught them to be receivers, to be possessors. Uh, religion says you just sit there and let God decide what you need. And uh, you just let God decide what's best for you and whatever happens, you just accept that as God's will and you be content with it. And it's a lack of, lack of knowledge, it's a lack of the of knowledge of the word and this brings confusion this brings confusion Hebrews 4 16 says come boldly before the throne of grace uh, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain to obtain now that word obtain means the same thing as take it means the same thing as receive. It means the same thing as possess. Um, <clears throat> obtain means to, to gain possession of a thing, to, to get a thing. Young's literal translation says, We may come near then with freedom to the throne of grace that we may receive that we may freely receive. Now, let's turn um, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, just over a few pages to the left. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. So, why is there a fight? <laughs> Why is, it, why is there a fight? If, if, if healing already belongs to us and blessing and abundance already belongs to us, uh, you know, and, and peace and direction and protection and wisdom, if, if all these blessings already belong to us uh, and God's not the one withholding them, then why is there a fight? God's not the one withholding. There's a fight because we have an adversary who will try to resist us and keep us from receiving what Jesus has already bought and paid for us to have. He wants to keep us ignorant through a lack of knowledge of the Word. And then once we even receive some revelation and knowledge in this area and we step out, then he wants, to, he wants to resist us because he doesn't want us to experience this abundant life 
that Jesus came, us, came to give us. He wants to keep us beat down and under his uh, control and, and fearful and defeated. Uh, he, he, he tries to confuse people. And he will use other people uh, who are confused by him to confuse you. So you have to fight your own feelings, telling you that you don't have it. You have to fight your unrenewed mind, and you have to tell it to shut up and agree with the word. You have to fight the symptoms and the circumstances, and you have to fight and press through. That's what you were talking about this morning, Betsy. That's what you mentioned. We have to, to fight and press through because we have resistance from the enemy. So, fight the good fight of faith. What comes after that? Lay hold. Lay hold. Now, there is a popular phrase in some Christian circles in recent years, and you've probably all heard it at one time or another, and it says, let go and let God. We've all, we've all heard that. Um, is that what we just read in 1 Timothy 6, 12? Fight the good fight of faith, let go. Is that what it says? No. It says just the opposite. Lay hold. Now, um, there are some things we do need to let go of. We need to let go of worry. We need to let go of unforgiveness. We need to let go of strife. And in these areas, yes, there are things we need to let go of. But when it comes to possessing, what already belongs to us in Christ, when it comes to, possess, to uh, possessing our inheritance um, in Christ, what he's already bought and paid for us to have, we lay hold. Now this is an aggressive phrase. This is not a passive word. Religion has taught people not to be bold, not to expect not to lay hold. Lay hold is not passive. Faith is not passive. Receiving is not passive. Possessing is not passive. Faith is always moving forward and never retreating. Organized religion has taught people to be passive. Just accept whatever happens, accept it as the will of God, uh, you know, just be content. Uh, you know, God knows best. In the Bible, God's people were possessors, and they were receivers, and they were believers. They pushed on. Yes, they pushed on. Now, um, let's turn back over just a few pages to Hebrews 11. And we, we're all familiar with Hebrews 11. It's the Faith Hall of Fame chapter. Uh, and in this chapter, the words through faith are used 19 times in 40 verses. That's almost half of this chapter says through faith or by faith. 
And in verse 33, uh, first, uh, it, it starts talking about some of these faith champions. Uh, verse 32, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained, there's that word again, obtained promises, or you could say possessed promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain, there's a word again, obtain a better resurrection. Does that describe weak and passive people? No. They subdued kingdoms. They obtained promises. They quenched the mouths of lions. They escaped the edge of the sword. That's not describing weak and passive people. Are these people who were hiding in the corner scared of the devil? No. <coughs> these were bold people. These were confident people. They knew their God. They knew what God said he would do. And they knew that what God said he would do, he will do. They knew what God has said that he will perform. And this is, what, this is the way we have to be. We have to, to know that God is for us and not against us. These people here we just read about, they knew God was for them and not against them. <coughs> We're dealing with centuries of misinformation. about what it means to be a Christian. <coughs> Organized religion has taught people to be passive, to be weak, and accept whatever happens as God's will. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that is a lie. That is a doctrine of devils. What about in the, the New Testament? What about the woman with the issue of blood? Did she sit at home uh, and say, well, <clears throat> the Women's Institute's meeting at my house today, or the, the Garden Club's meeting at my house today, and I can't go to this meeting where Jesus is. If he wants me to be healed, I, he can heal me right here at home. No. When she heard that Jesus was in town, she emailed everybody and she canceled the Women's Institute meeting. She canceled the Garden Club meeting. She canceled the coffee morning. And she got up and she had to fight her feelings and her symptoms. 
She knew it was against the law to go out in public with this problem. She knew she could have been stoned to death. Folks, there's something worse than dying, and that's living like a coward. There's something worse than dying, and that's living like a coward. This woman had to fight her way through thousands of people to get to Jesus, and she received, she obtained, and she possessed her healing. What about blind Bartimaeus? Because he was blind, he obviously had physical restrictions and limitations, but that did not stop him from receiving his healing. He heard, when he heard Jesus was coming down the road, he, he asked, what's all the commotion about? He said, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And when, when he heard Jesus was coming, did he just sit there passive like a good little Christian? Did he just say, well, God knows best. I mean, if he wants me to be healed, he, he can walk over here and he can heal me. No, he was bold. As soon as he heard Jesus was coming down the road, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He yelled out. He screamed out for Jesus. He was bold. And all the religious people around him said, shut up, old man. Just, just shut up. Maybe it's not God's will for you to see. Maybe God's teaching you a lesson by being blind. That's what the religious people said. But, but when he said, Son of David, have mercy on me, it stopped Jesus in his tracks. And Jesus said, bring him here to me. Jesus said, bring him here to me. And he, they brought him to Jesus. He threw off that beggar's garment. And they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus asked him a question. What do you want me to do for you? Now that sounds like a stupid question to ask somebody who's obviously blind. What do you want me to do for you? Why did he ask him that? Because he needed that man's faith. Bartimaeus could have said, well, you're the Lord, whatever you want to do. I mean, you know what's best. You know, you, you know what's best, what, whatever you want to do. You know, I've, I've had this uh, mole on my hand here for years. You know, you, you can heal that if you want to. No, he was specific. Jesus was trying to get him to be specific about what he wanted. And he said that I received my sight. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. What about the paralytic man that the four friends took him on the, the, the stretcher? And they went to the house where Jesus was teaching. And it was so crowded there was no place to park. And all the seats were taken when they got there. And, and they looked all around. There were no seats anywhere. And um, did they turn around and say, well, I guess it's just not the Lord's will for our friend to be healed. I guess, you know, we, we tried. I guess it's just God's, you know, God knows best. 
I guess it's, it's uh, he's teaching him some lesson by being sick. No, they looked up on the roof and they didn't see anybody on the roof. <clears throat> now, it took some faith from this paralyzed man to let these four friends haul him up on this roof. You know, the paralytic man didn't say, hey, you can't take me up there. I'm in no fit state for, for you to be uh, hauling me up on the roof. And besides that, I'm scared of heights. You can't take me up there. No. These, these friends, they got up there and they started tearing the roof off. Does that sound weak? Does that sound yeah. passive? No, that's not passive. That's not leaving it all up to God. That's not leaving it all up to God. What about the ten lepers? Uh, they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, what? Go show yourselves to the priest. And the ten lepers said, okay. Okay, whatever you say, that's what we'll do. They didn't argue. What about Jairus? What about the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus? In some of these cases, Jesus was not even preaching and teaching on healing. In some cases, he wasn't even teaching at all. He was just walking down the road with Bartimaeus. You know, um, so... He was just often going from one town to another, and they stopped him. And that's important. These people got up and did something. They, they didn't just sit at home passively saying, well, whatever the Lord's will is, that, that's what we want. If he, I'm, I'm all for being healed, and if God wants to heal me, he knows where I am. He knows I'm right here. Folks, I have had people tell me that personally with me sitting in their living room. I've had people tell me that. And when you try to tell them what the Word says, they get very, very upset. And I have even been asked to leave. You know? So this, you want to talk about religious spirits and confusion and deception. This is it. Um, you know, when... when uh, these people stopped him, uh, you know, or they came to him. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, have you asked God if it's his will to heal you? Have you asked God if it's, if, if it's your, his will for you to be healed? Uh, why don't you just wait on God and just leave it up to him? Did Jesus ever tell anybody that? No. Did Jesus ever say, well... I don't know if it's God's will to heal you or not. Uh, let me go away and pray about this for a while. And uh, you come back tomorrow and I'll give you the answer. And if it's God's will to heal you, then I'll pray for you. But if it's not God's will for you, then you just have to accept that as God's will. No, never, never, never did, God, did Jesus ever say anything like that. He never rebuked them for coming for healing. Why? It belonged to them. It belonged to them. And this is, um, you know, this is really the state of the uh, 
generation that Jesus was ministering to on the earth. The, uh, the religious system was uh, only consumed with what you could and could not do on the Sabbath and just keeping uh, laws and adding more laws and burdens to the people. Um, and um, Jesus came preaching the blessing of Abraham. Sorry for the pause there. Um, no, it belonged to them. And Jesus came preaching the blessing of Abraham and um, the healing belonged to them. A blessing belonged to them. And these people in, in that generation, they had never, ever heard that. And that's why they were so astonished at his teaching. And, and it was so obvious it was different from the religious people and the religious teaching. Um, there are two things that we as Christians must find out. What God has given us and how to possess it. In John 3, verse 27, it says we can only receive, we can only receive what God has given. We can only receive, uh, Jesus answered and said a man can only uh, a man, let me start all over. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So, we can't receive if we don't know what he's given. Many people believe that God makes all of our decisions for us. Many people believe that God decides who is rich and who is poor. They believe God decides who gets healed and who doesn't. They, many people even believe that God's the one who decides who gets saved and who doesn't. That's a, a religion of convenience because that means they have no responsibility and no involvement about what happens in life. And if it doesn't happen, they believe that it's God's will and it just God just didn't see fit to do it. Um, you know, I'm sure we all know people like this. And this is a major reason why millions of Christians are not receiving from God what is theirs. They're going to churches where they don't know what's been given to them. And they create this doctrine that it's all up to God. 
Well, if it's all up to God, then there's no faith required. And that makes a popular doctrine. And I believe that's one of the reasons for the anti-faith, anti-faith uh, uh, movement, you know, is that uh, if there's, if, if there's, uh, if it's all up to God, then there's no faith required, and that makes a, a religion of convenience. That's a popular doctrine. Some people even take this line of thought further, and they say it's up to God who's saved and who's not. That's a lie. We are not robots. We are not puppets. God created man with a free will and the ability and responsibility to choose and to make decisions and the ability to have faith and with our faith we are to possess what he has given and before we can possess we must find out what he's provided and once we find out what he's provided we believe we speak and then we have to act on the word we have to act on the word you know I've got folders and notebooks full of good notes from good meetings. But we have to act on that word. We have to be doers of the word. It's the doers of the word that get results. So once we find out what God's already given us, the next thing is we have to know how to possess it. And it's time to rise up and go take what God has already given us. Has the Lord given us more than one thing? Has he, has he given us more than just a ticket to heaven? Has he given us more than just fire insurance? According to, to millions of Christians, that's it. I mean, they get their ticket to heaven, that's it. I mean, for the rest of this life, they're just here, uh, you know, buying time, trudging through the heat and the cold, uh, just getting along the best they can, uh, accepting whatever happens is God's will. Many don't even know that there's anything else in the Bible. And if they, if they do know that there are other things in the, in the Bible, they don't believe it's available now. Everybody say, now. Now. Amen. According to them, everything God has given us that pertains to life and godliness, they believe it's only after we leave this earth. They don't believe any of these uh, promises, of the thousands of promises of God, uh, uh, healing, blessing, peace, joy, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, Wisdom, guidance, direction, protection. They don't believe any of this is available now. They're, they're putting it all off till they get to heaven. And the organized church as a whole is very weak in this area. Most Christians, once they're born again, they're ready to go to heaven. They're ready to go to heaven, but they're not equipped they're not equipped and prepared for life on earth. 
You know, there's a phrase that uh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, you know. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. But if people don't have any knowledge of the Word, they don't know what He's given them. The Word says, all things are yours. What's ours? What belongs to us? First of all, you have to hear that Jesus has already gone to the cross and taken your sin upon himself and paid the price for you. What's next? You, then you receive your forgiveness and your cleansing and you lay hold and you possess your righteousness. Once you hear that Jesus has already taken your sicknesses and diseases on the cross, once you hear he became poor, that you might be made rich, and he redeemed you from the curse of the law, once you hear Jesus has been made into us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, what's it time to do next? It's time to lay hold Lay hold. It's time to possess your cleansing. It's time to possess your healing. It's time to possess your blessing and prosperity. It's time to possess your favor from God. With your faith, you're going to possess what is yours. And let's turn uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 16. Ephesians 1 16. Do not cease to give, uh, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he's, he's talking about praying for these people. He's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's praying that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. He's not praying to God to do something for these people. He's praying that these people in Ephesus will have revelation and understanding of what has already been given to them in Christ. That's what he's praying for them. Righteousness has already been given to us. Healing has already been given to us. Prosperity has already been given to us. Wisdom is already given to us. Protection is already given to us. Favor is already given to us. Not after we die and go to heaven. Right now. Right now in this life. Now. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no shortage in heaven. There's no danger in heaven. Jesus said, uh, pray, uh, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's will is obviously not being done on the earth, or he wouldn't have said, 
pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no shortage. There's no danger. So now is when now is when we lay hold. Now is when we lay hold of our healing, our prosperity, our protection, our deliverance. You know, if somebody deposits some money in your bank account, it's not going to benefit you if you don't know that it's there. It's not going to do you any good. Uh, and when you do find out that someone has deposited money in your account, do you just leave it up to the bank to send you some and say, well, the bank knows I, I need some. I, they'll, they'll just send it whenever, you know. No. If you, it, once you find out money's been deposited in your bank, whether you deposited or somebody else deposited it, you have to go make a withdrawal. You have to get up and you have to go possess that withdrawal. And you don't go into the bank and cry and beg and plead and bang on the counter and ask them to give you some money. No, there's a procedure. Just, you know, you, you fill out the withdrawal slip. You, you make the withdrawal according to the bank's rules. You make out the withdrawal slip, you tell them how much you want, and you hand it to the teller. Well, the Word of God says there's a procedure. We come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain, to obtain what God has uh, already given us, our inheritance and our, our heavenly bank account, which we can access now on the earth. Now that, that we know what God's already given us, it's time to rise up and lay hold and possess it with our faith. So it's time, it's time to tighten our helmet. It's time to tighten up our breastplate. It's time to tighten up the shield of faith. It's time to sharpen the sword of the Spirit and go in and possess what belongs to you. Because what God has provided, we must possess. Amen? I think we're going to stop there and we're going to continue next time. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.